Well, for those who missed church on the farm, Abraham died last week, by the way. Okay? So we were in Genesis 25 out at the farm, and, and we're, I think we're going to have to figure out a way to, to at least get something uploaded for, for those folks who, who weren't able to be out there. We had a great... Anybody, anybody in here that was out there had a good time? Yeah? Yeah? It, it was a great time. We really did have... Uh, you know, the goats didn't get out this year and, and chase people. It was, we had a lot of fun. But last week we talked about Genesis 25. Abraham dies, and uh, Isaac is now the center of our attention. And in Genesis chapter 26, we're going to see the, the old saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? That's going to be Isaac. Isaac is going to, Isaac gets a lot of really good things from Abraham. He's a very wise businessman, he, he, uh, but he also picks up some traits that aren't so good. And so in chapter 26 today, we are going to be looking at Isaac and how he fits into the picture of God's redemption, uh, redemption plan for us. So let's look at Genesis chapter 26, and we're going to start in verses 1 through 5. So grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Let's get to Genesis chapter 26, 1 through 5. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine that occurred during the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gair, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants I will give these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, and my statutes, and my laws. Well, this is an interesting trip. He goes down, and, and it seems to tell us that he was headed to Egypt. Where did Abraham go when they had famine? He went to Egypt. But God stopped him and he said, wait a second, I'm going to keep you here. He had stopped in a place called Geir, which Abraham had been to. As a matter of fact, Abraham lived there for quite a while. And he also had a friend by the name of Abimelech. This is not the same Abimelech. Abimelech was a name given to a king of the Philistines. Very much similar to there are a number of pharaohs, right? Anybody ever study history and there's pharaoh so-and-so and pharaoh so-and-so? So Abimelech would not have been the same Abimelech that Abraham had encountered almost 50 years before. But God stops him there and he says, wait. God has promised you three things. He in the covenant, he promised him three things. And here, he reaffirms those three things. 
Number one, he reaffirmed that this is the land that you're going to get. And if we were to look at Geher, Geher is, is not too far from where the tribe of Judah, matter of fact, the tribe of Judah would encompass all the land around Geher. He said, I want you to stop here. This is your land. I have given it to you. So don't go any farther. You don't need to go to Egypt. As a matter of fact, Egypt doesn't have a whole lot of good for Israel, does it? In not too many years from right here with Isaac, that's where the people of Israel are going to be enslaved for 400 years. God says, don't go to Egypt. Stay here. The land is yours. I promised it to you. God promises us many things, but he promised to Isaac the land. And to what? His descendants. He said, you will be a little bitty nation. What did he say? You'll be a great nation. He promised him a nation. He said, your descendants will be here. And the third thing he promised is something that you and I treasure today. He promised him the blessing. The blessing, there will, you will, your descendants, what does it say? He said, I will bless, I will give you these lands, I will establish by an oath, I will multiply your descendants, and by your descendants all nations of the earth shall be blessed. And that came with our blessed Jesus when he came on this earth. Jesus is the blessing to all nations. And he's going to come through this. And God reaffirms this. Now, isn't it interesting that God says, because of who? Because of Isaac? No. He says, because of Abraham. And why? He says, look at verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept and look, this is pretty interesting. Kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. Well, wait a second. When does the law come? When does the commandments come? Not for another 500 years. They haven't come yet. So, so as a matter of fact, this exact wording... Look at Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, talking to the Israelites after the Ten Commandments, after the law had been given. He says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep what? His charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. How could Abraham have done that? He didn't have it yet. Well, I think Jeremiah sheds a little bit of light on this. But this is the covenant which I will make with, your, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God informed their heart. He informed Abraham's heart. 
The law hadn't been written yet. Moses, or, uh, Abraham couldn't, couldn't obey it because he didn't have it, but God says, you know what? I'm going to write it on your heart. Isn't that what God does for us? When we take his word, we don't, you know, I love seeing new believers because they, they don't know, they haven't memorized the word of God. They haven't been exposed to everything. But, you know, you can go to them and, and they'll, they'll, something will come up and they'll say, you know what? God's telling me that's not okay. God informed their heart. God should be informing our hearts. We don't, we, you know, it's great to have the word of God memorized or it's great to be able to go and grab God's word. We are so blessed. But, but do we allow God to inform our heart? I talk a lot about in, in some of my classes, especially in my spiritual maturity class, about living intentionally, listening to the Holy Spirit. And as we walk through life and God says, oh, you need to go talk to that person. That person needs something right now that you have, and it may be encouragement. It may be a $5 bill. I don't know, but God tells us, go, go and just sit and be with that person. They need you. Walking intentionally, that is God informing your heart. The Holy Spirit informs us how to live each day. Just as he informed Abraham and how to walk. And Abraham kept all of those laws as he walked with him. Well, he also, he informed Isaac, didn't he? So don't go any farther. And look at verse 6. Genesis 26, 6. And so Isaac lived in Geir. Isaac listened to God's direction. Do we always listen to God's direction? Anybody ever not? Hey, sometimes it can have some consequences. God, when I, was, when I was in high school, God was using my pastor and my youth pastor and, and, and some folks in my church to say, you know what? I'm calling you. You're going to be a preacher one day. Matter of fact, when I was 15 years old, my pastor, Matt Flood, said, I want you to preach. We're going to have a youth service, and I want you to preach. And I'm like, oh, right, this kid that grew up with a stutter and a lisp and, and, and had a hard time speaking. You want me to preach? Yeah. And Matt Flood would come. He said, he said I believe God's got a calling on your life. Matt Flood would pick me up after school and he'd say, hey, let's go grab a burger. And then he'd say, oh, by the way, I have to stop and make a visit. And he'd take me with him. Can I wait in the car? No. I learned how to visit people when I was 16, 17 years old because Matt Flood said, you know what? I'm, God, is just, God has a call on your life. But I had football-itis. I loved football more than I loved school. My mom used to tell people, I went to, I went to football so that I could play school. <laughs> and that was my, I wanted, I wanted to play football at a small college more than anything in my life. But God said, I, I got a calling. I'm calling you. 
And I wouldn't listen. And December 1st, 1974, God said, I'm going to get your attention. And, I've, and I think I've shared this before. The story, the Christmas story, right? The little boy wants what? Red Ryder beat again. What did mama say? You're going to shoot your eye out. That was me, December 1st, 1974. Five days I laid in the hospital with both my eyes bandaged. You think God got my attention? I'd have listened. Listened. For five days, you can't, I mean, there's no, you can't watch television, your eyes are bandaged. Back then, they didn't have little, you know, it was it, no Walkmans, no, you know, you couldn't plug your phone into something to listen to. For five days, God had my full attention, and I listened. And God said, this is the way I want you to go. Sometimes we don't listen, but Isaac listened to God. And he stayed there. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. Because Isaac picked up something else from his father. Verses 7. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, My wife, thinking the men of this place... Kill, might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she's beautiful. And it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife Rebekah. And then Abimelech called Isaac, and he said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said, because I said I might die on her account. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought, and you would have brought guilt upon us. And so Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Sound familiar? Pharaoh, Abimelech, I mean, Abraham, twice. And that was a half-life for Abraham. Rebekah was not his half-sister. Rebekah was not Isaac. It was a full-on lie. And where did he learn it? Parents, your children are watching and listening. You know, it, it wasn't like Abraham got done with his day and came home to Sarah and said, Sarah, what's on television? What's, what did we tape? What's on the VCR? Can we just sit back? They didn't have any of that. They didn't even have any good books to read. What did they have? They sat around the fire and they told stories. They told history. That's the way their history was repeated. And here's young Isaac sitting around the fire and the, the shepherds are like, you guys remember when we were down in Egypt and Abraham said, Sarah's my, Sarah's my sister. And what happened down there? 
And, and then some of the other, oh yeah, that wasn't the only time. Remember Abimelech? God stopped up everybody's, all the women couldn't have babies because Abraham told the lie? Parents, your children are watching and listening. And they will end up doing exactly what they hear from their parents. Just beware that God wants you to to live your life in such a way that when you look and you say, wow, I want to be like mom and dad. Because they've followed the Lord fully. They've loved him all along the way. I want to be exactly like mom and dad. In the book of 1 Kings, we see this quite often. This specifically talks about Jeroboam. And it says, He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. Isn't that sad? That here's a son that follows in the footsteps of his father, but it says his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. We need to be walking each and every day because those eyes are on us. They are listening. We need to be the example. And when we die, hopefully every one of our children say, I want to be just like mom or dad. We have that big of an impact in their life. Well, let's continue on with our narrative here in Genesis 12 to 17. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household and so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. And when Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Geir and settled there. Did you catch the abundance? The abundance? How God blessed him? How many fold? Tenfold? Twentyfold? How many? A hundredfold. That's pretty good. That's pretty good wages, isn't it? God wants to bless us abundantly. Not just a little bit. God looked at, at Isaac and he said, He said, Yeah, you may have messed up, but there's forgiveness. And I want to bless you. I mean, it says he became a very rich man. Not, not, I mean, he would be in Forbes 500 if they had it back then. That's how God wants to bless each and every one. He wants to bless us abundantly. Deuteronomy 38 and 9 talks about, about the law that's given, and it says this, and you shall, gain, you shall again 
Obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. There is a clause. God does not, does not bless if we're not following him. But then what does it say? Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand and in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle and in the produce of the ground for God will gain will again rejoice over you for good just as he rejoiced over your fathers. Look at the abundance. The abundance is in what you do, in your families, in your, in your uh, work. He says, I want to bless you abundantly. In John 10.10 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it Abundantly. Can you say that again? Abundantly. How does God want you to live? Abundantly. Christians are not, not the beggars that are hauling up the back of the pack. God says he came. The world wants to steal. The world wants to kill. The world wants to destroy. That's what Satan wants to do. But God says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly Ephesians 3:20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think Sometimes we pray just a little too small God what do you want to do How do you want to how do you want to work in my life according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and is in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever he wants to bless not only you, but he wants to bless the church. He wants, he's building his church. Well, let's keep, let's look on. Genesis 26, let's look at 18 to 25. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water, which he had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Geir quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So they named it Esek, because they contended with him. And then he dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna. And he moved away from there. Ha, he finally figured it out. God was, God was trying to move him away from the Philistines, right? And he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and he will, we will be fruitful in the land. And he went out from there to Beersheba, and the Lord, oh, well, well, we'll stop there at verse, and, oh, well, let's go on. And he went out from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am, comma, should be a comma there, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. 
I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. He said, fear not. We've lived the last year and a half with people telling us, you need to fear, haven't we? Don't go out. Don't go over here. Don't go see your family. It's going to kill you. God says, fear not. Matter of fact, did you know that fear not appears 365 times in the Bible? Fear not. Now, 365, isn't that kind of an unusual number? How many days in the year are there? Fear not. Today, fear not. Tomorrow, fear not. December 31st, fear not. 365 times God tells us, don't fear. And he told Isaac, don't worry about all of these people, these guys that are running around throwing dirt in your well. I don't know how many of you ever had to dig a well. But when I was a kid, our well failed out in Waterloo. And we didn't have the money to buy a well driller to come out and drill a well. So my dad and us two boys dug a well. Now, we, we're, we're blessed. We haven't, we, anybody, anybody ever see somebody with a, with a willow stick, a forked willow stick, right? And you walk around until it goes, right? Don't believe it? Try it. We had a guy come out, walk around, and I said, I'm like, I'm like 10 years old. No way. He said, here, take it. Walk around. I, I walked around, and I got to the spot where it went, I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. Dad said, start digging. And the worst part is when you get down, when you're 10 years old, you're about this tall, it's a long ways to throw dirt. But they, they filled their wells up, and, and Abraham, don't worry about the Philistines. They're going to be a pain in your backside for as long as you know but I'll take care of them. Don't you worry about them. Fear not. And I, we need to live in a place not only that is informed by God, not only a place of abundance, but a, a place that is not filled with fear. Because folks, I've read the last of the book. I snuck to the back page and we win. God wins. Amen? Well, not only does he said, don't live in fear, but I want you to look at 26 to 33. And Abimelech came to him from Gair with his advisor, Azuas, and Philco, his commander of the army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and you sent me away from you? And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us 
even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Now, I want you to hear, they're a little bit off on their, their history here, because look what they say. Just as we have not touched you or have done, any, done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now blessed of the Lord. And, they made, and he, Isaac, made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths and then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And now it came about on that same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said, we have found water. And so they called it Sheba. Therefore, the name today is Beer Sheba to this day. God says, I want you to live in peace. The world is going to look around and say, oh, we weren't that bad to you, were we? We didn't call you names, did we? We didn't stop up your wells. Well, I, I think history may show that, yeah, you did. We, they wanted to be all good, right? But look how Isaac responded. He says, okay, I'll make, I'll make an oath with you. And I'm going to give you a feast in honor of that oath. Because I don't want anybody to say that I hold ill will. There's a lot of times when the world is going to tear us down. I had somebody text me the other day talking about how, how somebody had said something terrible about them. And they did, they, you know, how do I respond? And I said, you know what? You let your life. Anybody that knows you knows you wouldn't have done that. And anybody that doesn't know you, it doesn't really matter. You let your word, your walk in Christ be your defense. And Isaac said, you know what? He didn't argue with them. He didn't throw down and say, look, all the terrible things you've done. He just said, let's have a feast. Here's my word. I will... I will will treat you with respect. And he says, I will live in peace. In John 14, 27, when Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples alone, he's going to the cross and he says, I'm trying to prepare you for the future when I'm not here. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give I to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be fearful. Don't fear, guys. Live in peace. Now, some people think peace is the absence of turmoil. It's not necessarily true. Peace is having, being able to stand in joy in the midst of tribulation. John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And what does it say? In the world you will have warm fuzzies, tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. 
Where is our peace? Our peace is not with what is happening around us. Our peace is in the fact that we have a Savior that has overcome the world. Amen? And that is our peace. We can rely on that. It doesn't matter. You can be in the hospital. It doesn't matter. You know where you're going. I do not fear death one bit because I know that the minute I take my last breath on this earth, I take my first breath in heaven. Amen? That's where our peace is. Philippians says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But don't rejoice in tribulation. Oh, wait a second. It doesn't say that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital by the bedside of a saint of God that's dying. And I see people that don't know Jesus Christ standing around, nurses and staff, and they can, they'll look at that and they'll say, how can you stand here in the midst of losing somebody who's dying and have peace? And I said, because I know the Prince of Peace. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. And I know one day I'm going to see my Father again. I know one day I'm going to see this saint of God again. And we're going to rejoice in heaven around the throne. Because folks, we're only here for a little while. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not... My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen? That's where our peace is. Our peace is in the peacemaker. Well, unfortunately, not everybody likes to make peace with us, and we're going to finish out with just one more little verse. It says, Romans 12, 18 says, If possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now that's an important verse to remember because I want us to look at the last two verses of chapter 26. And when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basma, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they brought grief Isaac and Rebekah. You don't always have the opportunity to be at peace because there are some people that aren't going to that, that are going to cause you problems. There's some people that are going to do this. They're going to talk about you. Sometimes some of the, some of the hardest things to go through are, are with our family. You know, here's Esau. Esau despised his birthright. He despised it. And he's going to cause trouble for Jacob for a lot of years. As a matter of fact, he's going to make Jacob run away. But you know, God is the restorer. 
because we're going to watch this story unfold and we're going to see the day that Jacob and Esau come back together as brothers. And they come back together in peace. It's going to be what marks Esau for the rest of his life. God is the restorer of all things good. And and when did he restore that? He restored it on the cross. That day when we were, just as we were talking about in John, where he's talking to his disciples, he said, the day is coming when I'm going to be gone. In, in a few hours, they're going to kill me. And, and he said, he took the, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took the cup and he said, this is, this is my blood which is going to be shed for you in just a few hours. But what did he say? My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, so I give I to you. And he gave us a symbol. He gave us the communion. And he said, he said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this knowing the sacrifice is done. It's complete. He made an oath with us, didn't he? And he completed the oath. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will, what? I will come again so that you can be where I am. That's the promise God gave us. That's the oath he gave us. We know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that one day we're going to be in heaven with him if we've trusted him as our personal Savior. And that's what communion is all about.